Welcome to Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill, and I'll be leading you on this adventure. We'll be getting into deep discussions about classic records, profiles on up-and-coming bands, and interviews with your favorite artists. You can check out new episodes every week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Welcome to our debut episode. Thanks for checking this out. This week, me and my co-host, Randy Larson, talked about Iron Maiden's classic record, Killers. It's my personal favorite, and I remember being a kid and seeing the album cover with Eddie wielding the axe and thinking that this is definitely something for me. Also, this is the record that put Iron Maiden on the map in a global way and was a precursor to the mightiness that lay ahead of them in their career. What was actually the first Iron Maiden record that you heard? First record I heard, front to back, was Live After Death. That has Dickinson on it, right? It does, yes. And were, were they playing like the uh, any of the Diano material on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Because that's not that late in the game, that record. Yeah. I mean, I think it's maybe after two records or so with uh, maybe three with Dickinson. But yeah, but... I heard Iron Maiden songs and was aware of them before that. But this was like, uh, I don't know, 1993 maybe. I bought a cassette at a flea market for like a couple bucks. Really? Yeah. Damn. I mean, I heard Run to the Hills. I heard Number of the Beast. Right. But I was aware who they were, but I was never uh, really a fan until I bought that. Now, were you aware that they had a different singer prior to Bruce Dickinson? At that time, no. I see. You want to know what the first Iron Maiden record I heard was? Yes, I do. Iron Maiden Killers, which is the subject of this episode. <laughs> which is the, a good one. The uh, classic records episode, Iron Maiden Killers. Now, for me, maybe because it was the first Maiden record that I heard, that I figured this in as a uh, classic record, but I think most people would agree with me that Killers is one of their best albums. I think me and you are in the same camp on this one. I think the first two albums are the two best Iron Maiden albums. That would be self-titled and Killers. Right. And I think we both agree for the same reason. Yeah. I mean, well, actually, there's a couple of reasons. I kind of, I prefer the songwriting on the first two, and I prefer Paul Diano's vocal performances. So do I. Yeah. Big fan of Paul Diano. And not that I don't like Bruce Dickinson. I mean, the guy's a consummate pro. Great voice, great stage presence. He definitely, in a lot of ways, upped the game for them as a band. But now, when you mention the songwriting, it's interesting that back in those days, a lot of those bands, they put out an album every year. Yeah, definitely. That was like the schedule out of so those bands. So once you put out your first record, that's probably stuff that they had been working on for years and years and years. And same with Killers. Then all of a sudden, you're getting that thing where you're going to pump out a record every year, man. And it probably gets a little more difficult to achieve that level of songwriting. Because I agree that I think the songs of the first two records are, uh, are pretty perfect. Well, I'm going to say that. I think, uh, you know, I think the songs on the first album were awesome, but they're like definitely, they don't feel like as developed as, as a, you know, as a finished product, I guess would go. Sure. But I do feel like Killers is like, people like, you know, like a decade or, a century from now, people are going to be looking back 
on killers the way that people look back at like Mozart or something like that. You know what I mean? Well, hopefully they yeah, should. Unless we blow ourselves up, I think that that record and the songwriting and the guitar playing and all that stuff and the the dueling leads and you know right. is going to be um, celebrated. I think by students of music as being something that's really uh, accomplished. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and that Killers was the first record with Adrian Smith. That's right. On second guitar. So that probably also, you know, pushed, the, pushed it a little past the first record with the uh, playing and stuff like that. But Yeah, they had uh, Dennis Stratton on the first album. Yes, who, pl- who plays on some of those uh, weird, like, singles and B-sides. Yeah. That, uh, like, Women in Uniform. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a song that a lot of people probably aren't even familiar with. Yeah, that's really. that's a great song. You know, uh, I have checked out. I never did before. I, first of all, I never even realized it was a cover till the other day. It's I didn't know cover. that either. It's a cover of what? It's a cover from an Australian band called the Skyhooks. The Skyhooks, okay. And the original is pretty shot. The, the original <laughs> version of it. Yeah, man, it's weird. It's like uh, it's got this like glam kind of pop i mean i think that band the skyhook started out as like just a rock and roll band but that song was on like their third or fourth album and they started to go in a little more like a glammy kind of almost like pop version uh uh and that song isn't like later in the game for them so i listened to the original thinking like oh i just just gonna discover this cool like australian rock band and the song was like beat i couldn't even tell huh yeah it's awful so maiden definitely their version they definitely amped it up and made it like because it sounds like it could be one of their songs yeah definitely um yeah so uh that that guy played guitar on uh that song and a couple of those other songs that ended up being on like that i think it was like 95 they did a reissue and they put all those extra tracks on there you know i often wondered about that song because it didn't really fit in with the canon of iron maiden's other output as far as like you know lyrical content and the title and all that sort of stuff yeah oh de- yeah definitely especially lyrical content it yeah. was like pretty far out in left field for the stuff that they were covering which i don't i don't know how many i don't know how many of the lyrics that steve harris writes as opposed to the ones that deano wrote or if deano wrote any i don't know I'm actually not aware of that, who, who contributed lyrically, but I definitely see a shift from the Dickinson era lyrically. Yeah. Like, I like the early lyrics better. That's another thing I like about the early version of the band better, too. Yeah, they're more, um, you know, street, violent kind of, yeah. like, imagery. Sketchy. Darker. Yeah, <laughs> sketchy. <laughs> Sleazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then when Dickinson joined the band, they were singing more about, like, the, the lyrics took on more of, like, a, you know, a fantasy element to yeah, it. Yeah. You know? And they're still, like I said, they're still good, obviously. But um, there's so many things I like better about those first two albums. And um, probably the, the reason why I like Paul Deano is the reason why they ultimately fired him and replaced him with Bruce Dickinson. You know what I mean? Just like his uh, his his attitude. He he yeah. seemed like a punk guy, you know, and right, definitely kind of out of control, you know. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they they say they basically fired him for performance issues due to alcohol and drugs. <laughs> you know, there's the, the st- classic story about what like before they actually got signed, like the A and R guy coming to see him and like. He was like outside the venue, like had a knife. He was like wielding a knife and he got arrested. <laughs> so they had to play without a singer when the guys, the A&R guys were there to like check them out and oh, sign yeah. them. And Steve Harris like sang a couple of the songs, but it like yeah, you know, was, was not very good. Wow. So they say, 
Um, so yeah, he's he's like a troublemaker, man. Which is yeah, that's a, I like that element of it too. Yeah. So just for the record, Maiden was formed in 1975 by Steve Harris in Leighton, East London, UK, on Christmas Day. The band was they decided to start this band, and uh, they had several vocalists prior to Paul Diano. And then there's a great documentary, The History of Iron Maiden, Part One and Two, that chronicle the history of like all the early singers. You know these different different lineups they had, and yeah. there's some great, great live footage of them performing in pubs. Yes, with Deano on vocals, and you know yes. some of the songs that would later appear on Killers and the first record. Uh, yeah, they get they really get into like the birth of Eddie, how Eddie came to be. Uh, started out as like this little head, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on a sign blowing like pink smoke and blood and it evolved into you know see there's a little bit of a conflict as to that too because there's there's this guy Derek Riggs I guess that's the art guy the art the artist yeah who came up with the design of that um but now I've also read that some A&R guy or I'm sure of course the label's trying to take credit for this (laughs) that um you know Riggs was like this self-taught like artist and you know he was going to be producing some sort of artwork for uh, a punk record and there was like Eddie you know yeah yeah I don't think you're far off there yeah uh, uh, it can't so, alright the thing that I remember is the hearing is he came over to they, they hired him to work on the art and he came over all these sci-fi books yeah yeah and that somewhere in that stack of sci-fi books was the drawing rough sketches of what you're talking about. Yeah, it's called Electric Matthew Says Hello or something like right. that. And that was like uh, the, what appeared on the first Iron Maiden record, yeah. that face. And that Eddie on the first is a little different. He has like wispier hair. Yeah. You know? And then, uh, you know, so they actually added him to, asked him to add more hair to it to make yeah. it look more metal. More metal, less punk. Yeah. And then that differs from the more robust Eddie that we see on the Iron Maiden Killers, where he's wielding an axe and there's like hands, like, Right. Reaching up to ward him off, you know. It was kind of funny. They kind of like, man, they just, Steve Harris, really. They just had like a plan laid out. At one point in that documentary you just mentioned, they they say they had like a plan laid out for four or five years in a row. They had, we're going to record now. We're going to release it on this day. This is going to be the art. We're going to do these tours. It's so insane. It is insane. I don't know if that happens anymore. Yeah, especially thinking about how we don't even know uh, what van we're going to be driving in on our next tour. <laughs> so it's like the fact that this guy's got five six years, years you yeah. know, five or six years laid out of what they're doing at every point is crazy. And the uh, some of the early images of Eddie, even after the you know the uh, initial one on the self titled record, some of those singles they did were like. Uh, actually, it might have been the singles before the first record came out because there's one where he's like in an alleyway. Yeah. And it's his full body, but you can't really see the face. Yeah. But you can kind of see the outline. And then I think the first record exposed, oh, that's what his face looked like. They just had like this this game plan that was insane of how they un- unfold, everything unfolded, like how they unleashed everything. So th- apparently Riggs only worked with them. Uh, he didn't work. He's he's not in the picture anymore. Apparently, as far as like artwork goes, they, he's not. I thought yeah. he was. Nah, they got they uh, they worked with them all through the eighties up until No Prayer for the Dying, and then they just decided to open up to other artists' interpretations of Eddie. Huh? I never realized yeah. that. So, you know, 
So February 2nd, 1981, Iron Maiden Killers was, was released on EMI Records in the UK and June 6th, my birthday, oh. 1981, by Harvest Records and Capitol Records in the States. Now, Harvest Records was a, a British uh, label that belonged to Capitol, and it was uh, originally created by EMI and is still active to this day. Harvest Records. Harvest Records. And it was uh, created to... Uh, Market like more progressive bands like Pink Floyd, Sid Barrett, The Move, and another one of our uh, one of our favorite bands, Deep Purple. Oh yeah, yeah, primarily yes. British bands. Okay, makes sense. So that's the release uh, story about Iron Maiden Killers, and as we mentioned before, it was uh, Adrian Smith's first record, and uh, the second and last record to feature Paul Diano. It'd be cool if, I know this doesn't exist, but it'd be cool if there was uh, demos or, or live versions of him singing songs from Number of the Beast. Yeah, I wonder about that too, man. Because like, you know, you figure Steve Harris with his um, five-year plan. Yeah. He probably had a lot of that material written by the time. You would think so. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool to unearth if it, if it exists. Probably doesn't exist, but if it did. Um, so Killers was also the first album that they worked with Martin Birch. Yes. As a producer, who's a you know big time back then, Sabbath, Deep Purple, the list goes on and on. Um, but uh, Steve Harris and they worked with him for uh, the next seven or eight albums. Yeah, yeah, right? a bunch, bunch um, of records. But oddly enough, uh, Steve Harris doesn't like how Killer sounds in interviews with him. It's very uh, lackluster. Really? Yeah. I can see that in a way. I mean, being like, you know, you and I both playing bands, you know, we played a band together. And um, when you look look back on records that came out, I mean, in, in Steve Harris's case, this is what, 30 something years right. later. True. You know, and he probably is, you know, more accustomed to listening to modern recordings. Right. And that to him probably sounds like a demo or something like that, you know. But he does acknowledge that most people probably disagree with him and think that, you know, the band never sounded better and that recording most people like that organic recording as opposed to now but i, I yes on our level bands that we've been in I'm, we always look back on everything we've done like oh yeah kind of shrug your shoulders i can do better yeah the next one will sound better but like i like to think in that world i guess i'm wrong that bands like you know sabbath and maiden judas priest they don't look back at their old albums like eh, you know because those albums are so good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... But it's just a natural reaction for a musician, I guess. Yeah, it's more of the vibe, I think, of just like us being fans and being like, yeah, this is like these songs are so sick and like, you know, we don't really listen to the production so much, I think. No. So you were saying that the, the, the Dickinson era of the band is the first stuff you heard. So when did yeah. you actually hear Killers? You know, what was your impressions of that first listening experience? I think, I don't know exactly when I heard Killers. It wasn't too, too long after that. But in, initially, on my first few listens, I didn't realize it was a different singer. Really? Yeah. You would okay. think that would be something. I just figured, oh, this is an older record, man. Like, His voice you know, was different. Yeah, something. voice a little different. You know, I know those guys were pretty young when they started. But then, you know, over time, I obviously, I don't remember how I was like, oh, that's not the same guy, you know? So then I was able to draw a clear line between the first two records and the stuff after. Um, 
and I loved Live After Death, and I loved all those songs, um, you know, from the records after the f- first uh, two records. But then when I went back and I really dug into the first two records, I discovered this whole other vibe going on. Like you mentioned, Diano, you mentioned punk. Yeah. There is undeniably uh, punk influence. I don't know if that's the right word, but there some of those songs sound like punk rock songs. Oh, they have parts that sound like they could be in punk rock songs. I don't know if there's any songs per se that sound like, oh, it's a punk rock song, but there's definitely parts where you're like, whoa, that's not metal at all. I would say particularly on their first album. Now, this is the real, this is, this is the irony about that statement is that if you ask Steve Harris about punk rock, he fucking despises punk rock music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, which is funny. I mean, since we're talking about Killers, there's a, uh, a song on there called Another Life. I think it's track four on the version I have anyway. Uh-huh. And uh, there is a part in that song, man, it, it sounds like a DOA song. <laughs> DOA. Like it's straight up. It sounds like a punk. It reminds me of a, a, a DOA song from their first album. I don't know, but just the way the guitar is picked, and it just it doesn't sound. It sounds like a punk rock part. And there's other parts from those first two records that I, I feel like there's a very heavy punk rock thing going on. Uh, but Deano didn't write any of the music. No, no. I mean, and you look at Deano. He looks like a punk. He's got like shorter hair. Yeah, the black leather jacket, spikes. Right, you know, right. and spikes weren't real. I mean, aside from maybe Venom, you know, you didn't really see too much spikes in like in no. in metal. It was like no. it was still like in the eighty one seventy nine. Right, it was like yeah. bell bottoms, and you know, it wasn't yeah, really, yeah. you know, it wasn't what we think of as modern heavy metal. Like, or Judas Priest. Judas Priest wore spikes and leather right. and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It wasn't such a thing as it is later it became. You know, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, you know, but but Deano had that gruff like kind of like. I mean, he also, but the thing is, Diano can hit those notes too. You know what I mean? Oh, he's a great singer, man. Yeah. Like he, he gets like a raw deal kind of on that. Um, everyone's, you know, compared to Dickinson. I don't know, man. He he <laughs> he hits all those all the notes on those first two records. It's not like he's a bad singer. At no, all. definitely not. Yeah. He just, I, yeah, I don't know. I like that little kind of rough edge to him. Yeah, you know. Now, when I first heard. Uh, Maiden Killers. Like I, I remember, I was reading Cream magazine. Yeah, okay, see, that goes back to that. Ways. I do remember Cream yeah, from like the late, you know, early eighties, like yeah. late seventies, and um, they gave it. A, you know, they ne- they don't like metal. They didn't like metal in Cream magazine. Okay, you know, I don't they, remember that. But they were they were more into like smart music, like the Talking Heads, and like you know, television, and you know, they embraced punk. You know, and I got to be completely honest with you. When I was a young kid, I was in the hard rock and heavy metal. I didn't like punk music either myself. Right. It wasn't until I think really Motorhead and the Ramones, you know, were like the the bands that like opened the doorway for me to get into punk. I didn't even right. like the Sex Pistols because that was a band that everyone was like, oh, man, Sex Pistols, check it out. I thought it was terrible, you know. Yeah, I liked them for a minute. Yeah. Until I found other shit. Totally overrated in my opinion. Totally overrated. Oh, completely. The uh, Sex Pistols? Yeah. I think they're one of the most overrated bands of all time. Yeah. And um, so when I, when I was reading this review, they were talking about all the, all the negative things about Iron Maiden Killers were things that I thought were going to be awesome. You know, they basically said that they were, you know, and, and I, th- I don't think they were right when they said this, but they were saying how it was like a, a weak attempt at reproducing Deep Purple. Okay. 
and yeah, particularly the vocalist. Okay. And I was like, all right, well, I love Deep Purple. I love Ian Gillen. And, and I always, even though I know Deep Purple's had several different singers, yeah. Ian Gillen is the one that is the face of the band when it comes to vocals. Like he sang, you know, Smoke on the Water, right, right. you know, Highway Star. So I'm like, all right, well, if this dude sounds anything like Ian Gillen, then I'm on, I'm on board, man. Right. So I went down to, uh, there was a record store. I was, you know, I was a young kid, so I was probably with my mom. And we uh, stopped, to, you know, we were doing grocery shopping or something. And then, like, I ducked into this record store. And in the cassette section, I found Iron Maiden Killers. And it was like, it was like synchronicity. I read about it two weeks ago. I was in the, in the record store. And there it was in the cassette case. And now, you know, you kids out there probably don't remember any of these. They have no recollection of what this is. But there used to be a... A thing called a record store where you would go to and there would be a case that had cassette tapes. And now cassette tapes were actually had little tape in there and there's these two little reels and you would put it in a player and it would play music. Okay. And these things were mass produced by record labels. Okay. So, you know, scanning through, uh, you know, Alice Cooper, you know, ACDC, like the stuff I was listening to at the time you know, Crocus, you know, and then when I got to the eyes, I was like, oh, Iron Maiden Killers. And it was the only one that was there. So I ended up, my mom got it for me. So I was excited about that. I put it on, you know, and like from the very beginning, the Ides of March, like that instrumental. Yep. It, it, was, it was just like raw power, man. You know what I mean? It was sure, just, the yeah. whole thing was power. And then the way it segued in the Wrathchild with that bass opening. Oh, so good. And then finally you get to hear the vocalist. You get to hear Paul Diano kick in with his first couple of lyrics. And it was like, I remember, the, I remember listening to his voice and being like, oh, okay. I can kind of see what this guy was talking about who wrote the uh, review of the, the record about how there's a little bit of an Ian Gillen vibe, possibly, you know? Especially because when Ian Gillen would hit those high notes, Diano also hit those high notes yeah, too. Yeah, You know? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think... I must have, in that first week, listened to that record a hundred times, man. So you you liked it right out of the gate? Right out of the gate, man. What year was, was this? It had to be 81, man. So it was, when it, it was right, like, when, it right when it came out. Right when it came out, man. It had to be. You know, I was like a you know, little kid, you know. Right. And um, so, I mean, that was like the first, that was, and, and, I, and I recognized them as being something different than all the other things that I'd listened to prior to that. I mean, the closest thing i can really associate iron maiden with at that point is possibly judas priest but they're still different than that yeah absolutely you know what i mean like priest had like you know the dueling guitars they didn't have as complicated of song structures though no a lot of the maiden stuff is, is actually very complicated yeah totally yeah. you know yeah um i don't know how like i circumvented that Missing them because, uh, you know, when I, before I got into to punk and hardcore, I was in hard rock and heavy metal big time. I mean, I loved Ozzy. I loved Sabbath, um, Deep Purple, Dio. But, I, you know, I mean, I don't know. I guess I grew, you know, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't easy to find records. So I would buy a lot of my records, more so tapes, like tapes, you're talking yeah. about. That was the big thing. At, like the department store. Yeah. So Back if, then, yeah, you could do yeah. That. So like, you know, I found Sabbath and Ozzy and Dio and Deep Purple and stuff like that. But maybe they just didn't. Maiden and Priest was a little just just beyond. 
what the department store where I lived would right. carry. I didn't have a record store. Yeah, I mean, there was no other record stores. I mean, I mean, this is even before uh, we often talked about Trash American Style that yes. used to be located in Danbury, Connecticut, which is like 20 minutes from where I grew up in, in the other side of the border in New York. But um, like literally this place, the book and record store was like the only place that sold records. I mean, there in my the town of Carmel that I grew up in, there wasn't even like a department store there, really. Like in that the type that would sell that kind of stuff. But you had a record store. We had a record store. I wish yeah. I had a record store and didn't have a department store. Yeah, I mean, we had to go to Connecticut for that. You know what I mean? Right. And um, but then this record store that I remember it had whoever was buying that stuff knew what was up because right. it was like they had the Conan the Barbarian novels. They had you know a million different like fantasy novels and yeah. horror and all this other I had stuff nothing like that in my town they also had like uh you know a section where you could buy like uh you know birthday cards and things like that <laughs> it was like so it's such a weird a not you know sort of like aggregate of what a suburban like dude and family or whatever is like right, you, there's right. something for your kids you can buy like you know uh like a you know, a stuffed cat, you know, like a little stuffed animal or something like that. You go buy like a birthday card and you can also get Iron Maiden Killers on tape. You know, it's just such a weird place. I had the magazine shop that had a lot of like crazy magazines and stuff, but no, no music store, man. No music store at all. I mean, they had like Motorhead, yes. they had Venom Records there. They had, um, you know, like... Frank Zappa records, there would be, and then all, then just all the, like Olivia Newton-John too, like all that stuff. And it wasn't even that big, really. Right. There was only like a few of those like, you know, aisles of, of records. And it was like the one that was like the metal hard rock. It, was, it wasn't even called metal. It was like hard, the hard rock section. Right, but there'd be some stuff sprinkled in there. Yeah, and it would be like, you know, like I said, the stuff we were just talking the about. The craziest thing I found uh, was Master of Puppets there. Ah, Nice to that but other than that man it was just like you know sabbath dia Ozzy, that kind of stuff nothing no maiden or any of that kind of stuff so i was totally into that record definitely different wasn't sabbath which i was big on wasn't van halen which i was big on at the time sure. wasn't acdc wasn't judas priest though that might have been the the uh closest and i wasn't i, I hadn't heard merciful fate or anything at that time really right. so that could have been something that I could have compared it to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Um, you know, and it was just like, it was something that was completely unique and I no no one else really knew about it. Cause I mean, as far as I knew, that was the only copy that made it to Carmel, New York. It was right. the one that I ended up buying <laughs> on cassette. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So, uh, so yeah, that was like a real eye opener for me. And, um, you know, then when, when number of the beast came out, sure. I remember I bought that on vinyl. Because now at this point, I graduated from having a, a cassette player to actually having a turntable. All right. So now I was buying records the following year with my allowance. Okay. <laughs> I was like mowing lawns and things like that. I remember. Shoveling snow in the winter, that kind of, that kind of gig. Sure. And uh, I'm like, oh, cool. There's another Iron Maiden record out. I remember this band. Like I, you know, I had that Killers record. Blew me away. You know, like wore it out listened to it thousands of times probably over that year so i was excited when i brought home iron maiden number of the beast and uh i put it on and i remember like listening to the first song i was like this guy's voice sounds different man and i was like what um okay so let's keep going 
And I was just like, wait, this isn't the same guy, right? So I didn't even know who Paul Deano was. I didn't know who Bruce Dickinson was. I didn't know who any of the members of the band were. Right. And I, I was, I was, you know, I didn't care about that shit when I was a kid. And I remember looking up in the liner notes. I'm like, oh, there's some dude named Bruce Dickinson sings in this band. So then the cassette didn't have, I don't think it even had like the, the, the musicians listed in there. And it wasn't until like months later where I might have been reading about it in like a you know, hit parader or something like that, that, right. that they talked about how they replaced Paul Deano. And I was like, fuck, you know, like, you know, so, you know, in my mind, going to see them live was like not even on the table. You know what I mean? I was like, so you were let down. I was let down because not only was he no longer in the band, but it had crushed any dream that I may have had about watching them perform live with Paul Deano singing. Because I was too young to go to any of these shows. Right. Like I, I, you know, my dad wouldn't take me to see Iron Maiden, you know what I mean? Right. And I was like, when I, oh man, when I'm 18, like there'll be no Paul Deano singing in Iron Maiden. I'd have to go watch this Bruce Dickinson guy, you know, this Bruce Dickinson character, you know what I mean? So yeah, that was kind of a letdown. And, and, um, I, I, I grew to appreciate Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, man, he's a great he's a great singer. You yeah. know, they put a lot, a lot of great records with yeah. him. You know, but that obviously, you know, at the I think I was like thirteen or twelve or you know something like that at that at that point, and uh, you know, I just started playing guitar. You know, maybe taking that a little seriously. You know, yeah. and I was like, but you know, I didn't appreciate like I appreciated how ins- insanely sick the guitar playing was. Only not because I can play anything remotely like that. But because I would listen to ACDC and I listened to like Judas Priest and I would listen to Led Zeppelin and I would listen to Sabbath and I would listen to Iron Maiden and I would see that there's like a very, very pronounced difference in what they were doing on their instruments. Sure. But what I did, I always like figured singers just show up and, you know, just go for it. You know what I mean? And like just whatever comes, you know, that's their voice. You know what I right. mean? But, you know, as time went on, I appreciated Dickinson for being the kind of guy who would, like, approach his singing with, like, intention, you know? Like, he definitely was, like, someone who took what he did very seriously, you know? He was yeah, in great yeah. condition, you know? I mean, we right, saw him. Right. I saw him. We both saw Maiden recently, right? Yeah, the last couple, month. A couple of years. Oh, you saw him last well, month. Well, we we just played with him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did, actually. We did. At yep. Hellfest. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you're right. So yeah, last month we saw Iron Maiden, <laughs> and um, that dude is like in his sixties. Yeah, and they played for three hours. And they played for three hours. His he voice—he doesn't just stand there. No, either. and his voice sounded amazing, perfect, dude. And the dude was like running all over the stage. Didn't he beat cancer too? Oh shit! I, don't I think know. so. Yeah, I, I think know. Bruce Dickinson like just defeated cancer too. <laughs> Maybe he's an amazing guy. You yeah. know. Flies planes. Yeah, he flies their pl- their plane around. You know, like there's the whole like the fencing thing and the guy. It's just an amazing guy. Like incredible. Yeah, this guy's just an incredible human being. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, yeah, and we, yeah, yes, we've seen Maiden the same tour a couple of years ago. Also, yeah, or maybe even last summer. Yeah, it was it was in the last couple of years, and I seen him two years before that. Yeah, so I've seen him three times now with him, and they were great. Every time. Yeah, you know, Dickinson is a great performer. The, the whole band are actually great yeah, performers. You know what I mean? And uh, Pros, man, just pros. You know, and, and just taking it, you know, to that level live where 
one of the things I really appreciated about them is that, um, you know, and it's like some of the, you know, there's a little looseness in the solos yeah. maybe, you know, and they extended the endings kind of. And right. it, it was like an old school, like, you know, hard rock show. Like, yeah. you know, when you go you listen to the song Remains the Same by Led Zeppelin, the versions of those songs are almost completely different than the ones on the records. Yeah, they sure are. Yeah. So, so anyway, that there, that's, that's Maiden, you know, they're just amazing band you know and, and when you think about this guy paul diano that we were both into and you think about him versus bruce dickinson in you know 2018 you know i'm, I'm not exactly sure what paul diano is <laughs> i'm not sure either i i know this uh it's like i'm gonna say it was four years ago could have been five whatever he was supposed to play at the webster theater in hartford okay just as himself paul diano yeah okay uh, this place is a hellhole. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like the main room, which is whatever. It's your average 800 cap room or whatever. But then there's the Webster Underground, which is the hellhole. And that's like, where he played. That's where my bands usually play. Oh, okay. You know, the hellhole, and that's where he was uh, scheduled. In, to, in the hellhole. In the hellhole. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, he was going to perform the first two Iron Maiden albums with, I don't know whoever, some dudes he picked up on the street somewhere, you know. Uh, so I was going to go, though. I was like, you know, I want to go check this out. And the show didn't end up happening for, for whatever reason. What was the band he was in after me? Well, I have those records, Battle Zone. Battle Zone. Yeah, it's not bad. I had one of the records I don't even really remember. I should probably revisit it. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's his vocals sound great, but... You know, it's it's it lacks that Steve Harris. You know, it's a big thing to lack. Yeah, I mean, not <laughs> I mean, the songs aren't complex like the Maiden songs, and there's no, you know, and and it's like kind of. Um, I mean, I'm, I was I was a little disappointed when I heard. I mean, it's still cool. I still spin those right. records, but it's. But not, I don't think other than that, he's done. He's been touring by himself forever. Because I remember like years and years ago when I was in Europe one time on tour. I saw that Paul Diano was playing the same venues that we were playing, but like a couple of days before, you know, and it was like, he was still out there banging it out. You know what I mean? What I do like about him, uh, besides the obvious things with the first two records is they, they interview him quite a bit on that, on the documentary, the early years thing. And he's not, he comes off like the coolest guy, man. Yeah. Like he's not bitter. Yep. He's stoked about their success. He yeah. says when he heard number of the beast, he was like, this is the best record ever like you know like he, he's not like one of those he could very easily be a bitter guy yeah totally and, you know maybe in private he is but he comes off like a really like cool guy like cool guy about the whole thing you know it's a shame he didn't go on to start some other band that was you know really good and put out tons of records because i you know i love him as a vocalist and a front man someday i will see him perform live though i would definitely still want to yeah I'd roll the dice on that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's one of those things, like, if you get the chance, just do it. I mean, how much could they charge for something yeah, like that? 20 bucks. Yeah, you know, it's not like a... It's dinner. Know. Yeah, dinner. <laughs> but um, the tour for Iron Maiden Killers uh, was their first world tour, the Killers World Tour. And it started February 17th, 1981. And it ran until November 15th, 1981. And... um. First time to the States for these guys, and they supported Judas Priest. You know, not they're, bad. They're, they're, they're not bad at all. And the select dates on that tour with UFO, another band that we're quite fond of. Yes, absolutely. And on this tour, they recorded the Made in Japan uh, tour record, the live album. Okay. Yeah. 
That's, that's a, have you heard that one? Yes, I have. It's pretty sick, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, they were playing basically, um, I got the set list here. It's like both records. <laughs> you know what, what I mean? What more could you want? That's, yeah, you know, no. Well, I mean, I guess speaking to like our idea of like maybe, uh, you know, they, uh, they had some of the later material where they were working out that they might have unleashed a couple of songs, but that doesn't appear on the set list here. No. So maybe, maybe not then. Maybe our dreams are going to be squashed on that one. But still, man, would I kill to go back and see one of those shows? Yeah, you know. And there's been several versions of the of the record, different reissues over the years. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, bonus discs. It's, it's gotten the full uh, treatment. Are, are you, are you one, one of those people who goes back and rebuys records? Because like some new remaster comes out, I rebuy everything, and I'm pretty <laughs> tired of it to be honest with you. Yeah, I'd be re- I rebuy records, I rebuy DVDs. I think we've had this conversation about us buying the same DVD like five times because they put some stupid like three minute extra thing and suck you in some live versions, something. Yeah, like uh, you're talking about the Made in Japan thing. Are you familiar with the, the Live at the Rainbow video? that they shot in order the idea was to make a home a live home video but the lighting was not up to snuff really so this never got released but the song they played killers and on that version Deano made up the lyrics right before they went out on stage really yes so if you listen to that version huh live at the rainbow there is different lyrics to Killers than on the album. Yeah. What are your go, top three songs on Killers for you? Well, Wrathchild is a, is a great one. Um, the song Killers, I think, is quite good. All right. So far, we're two for two. Okay. This is my top two picks as well. And Murders in the Room Org is awesome. That is my third, but I had a wild card. Okay, what's your wild is, card? Uh, the, the last track on the record, Drifter. Those are, like, those are the jams on the record, man. Wrathchild is when that kicks in, man. Dude. Like, still, like makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck, dude. It's just so good. It's the uh, bass, the vocals. It's so good. And like I said, I'd never heard anything like that before. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, you know. And I think there's something to that, and that's probably why I consider this to be like a classic record out of all their albums. But I heard that so much later than you, and I it still had the same effect on me. So that sort of validates my claim. Exactly. I yeah. think you could play that for someone today who's never heard it, and it would have the same effect on them. Question I have, maybe if anyone listening out there you might want to chime in on this. Do you think that most, a lot of kids are aware of these records, or they just think the band has got you know Bruce Dickinson was always their singer? Kids that like metal, They're Maiden. Well, I mean, or let's just say because I, I have a feeling that Iron Maiden is one of those bands that transcends just metal. You know what I mean? I would say yes for the simple reason that now all you have to do is. Go on Wikipedia and you can find out anything you want. Or go on YouTube and you can listen to anything you want. You know, you know how lazy people are, though. I mean, Sometimes. you got to be pretty fucking lazy. <laughs> but, dude, there's like, there yeah, are people out there that don't even, aren't even aware of certain things. Like, they think that, like, this one, the, some band's newest album is, like, the only thing they have out and they don't even know about their back catalog. But, um, but yeah, so Iron Maiden Killers, if um, you're a Maiden fan, and even if you're not a Maiden fan, Go back and check this record out. It's uh, 
probably my favorite Iron Maiden record, and I do believe it needs to be celebrated as a classic album. I agree. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. You've been listening to Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio podcast. We'll be back next week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio via web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities in the world, exclusive interviews and merch, and so much more.